2: and I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit Sector, SPDRS.com, or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Starwood Hotels and Resorts Worldwide, which is being bought by Marriott International, received a separate unsolicited takeover proposal from a group of companies led by Anbang Insurance Group. Starwood is up more than 8%. This morning, an Apollo global management agreeing to buy Grocer, the fresh market for about $1.4 billion in cash. Fresh market up more than 23 percent. U.S. stock index futures lower. S&P E-mini futures down five points. Dow E-mini futures down 26. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 10. The DAX in Germany is up 1.4 percent. Ten-year Treasury up 2.30 seconds. They yield 1.97 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.6 percent or 98 cents to 3752 a barrel. COMEX Gold is down 0.3 percent or $3.00 thirty cents to twelve fifty six ten an ounce. The euro, a dollar eleven oh nine, the yen one thirteen point six four. And that's a Bloomberg business flash. Tom and Mike.
1: Karen Mosko, thank you very much. We're talking with Paul Sankey, senior oil and gas analyst at Wolf Research. And we talked uh, before the break about the fact there may be a bottom in now for oil prices, and that is leading you to put out some notes that suggest maybe it is time to start looking at oil uh stocks again, and uh, your advice seems to be go big or go home at this point.
0: Well, we've got the idea that the very biggest oils may be into a positive cycle, and I'm talking about Exxon and Chevron particularly here, but also to an extent, Collico Phillips. Um, The idea is that over the past five years these companies really struggled with growth, struggled with very high costs and high spending, and also, um, you know, essentially struggled with access to to new resources. Governments were, were making so much money at $100, and what we've got going forward from here now is a, is a very aggressive capital expenditure program. From the past five years, is being is being significantly reduced, but the growth that they got from that lagging capital expenditure is still coming through. So what we've got, unlike the previous five years, is rising growth and falling capex and by extension, rising returns. And that's the essence of the the bull argument that we put together for Chevron Texaco when we upgraded it last week.
3: Paul, are they forever changed? What was the lesson learned? Um, I give them great credit, and this goes back to your work at Deutsche Bank with Adam Siminski, where the big oil companies never got carried away with $100 a barrel. But what is their tone? Is there a new humility among big oil?
0: Well, yes, actually, that word did come up at the Chevron analyst meeting, and I was impressed that the CEO was using it. Obviously, in a, in a, I'm not to judge the man, I'm judging the corporation here. And, um, you know, having said that, I, I do believe that at the top of the cycle, they did get carried away. The Chevron's capex reached $40 billion a year, um, and they guided that they would remain that elevated, and that was really just far too much money. The companies also, having spent all that money, did, as I said, fail to grow. Chevron's major projects are only just now starting up exactly at the wrong moment from an oil price point of view. But as I said, if we look at it on a longer term basis, I do think they're now into a much more positive cycle. And I do think that that humility that you referenced will keep them from uh, greatly ramping up spending again, even as the oil price begins to rise again here, as we talked about over the next three years.
1: They are, uh, you said, uh, just coming online with major projects. How much is that going to add to the amount of oil out there? And, can they back off at all?
0: So, well, in certain cases, yes. There's going to be tens of thousands of additional barrels of oil just coming out of uh, the partition neutral zone between Kuwait and Saudi Arabia over the course of summer. Uh, a lot of what they're producing in terms of growth at Chevron is uh, liquid natural gas, and that market is also in glut. So the additional volume is definitely not needed, and, and what we really need to see here is a correction in Uh, overall global supply, which essentially we're getting from the lowered rig count in the U.S. That's the first mechanism. But we're also looking at declines beginning in Russia, uh, in places like Kazakhstan, Brazil, will grow a lot less and so on. So globally, we are seeing a correction. Chevron and Exxon, I think, can work into that uh, market share opportunity.
3: Where's the terminal value? I mean, I know you and Mike talked earlier about oil bottom or that. Is is there a number out there or are you just throwing the towel on that? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, that's a great question. We think, as, as I've said many times, that this is the end of the oil age in the 21st century. So the 20th century was the age of oil. The 21st will be the age of electricity. But this is obviously not something that you, you switch, click, click a switch on. It'll take 30 years for that to come through. If if we are in the end of the oil age, and as I said, if, if demand doesn't respond to low prices, we're in the end of the oil age by definition. The cycle has ended then exactly as you highlight, there's no terminal value, and we're very worried about that. The good news for all valuation is over the next 10 years, we have seen a demand response to low prices. We have seen very uh, significant increases in sales of gasoline-driven cars and trucks in the U.S., and so I believe we have one final cycle. If you want to look 20, 30 years, I I think possibly the terminal value could be zero.
1: When you talk about um, the majors, the the, the big ones, uh, even with the problems they have. In the most recent quarter, Exxon, for example, has $1.8 billion in, in free cash flow. What, if they're not going to be ramping up um, their capital spending, what are they going to do with the cash?
0: Well, over time, again, we think the free cash flow, certainly in the case of Chevron and Exxon, their balance sheets are still in good shape. So we we do think it'll probably go back to buyback. And certainly we've we've said that we've, we'll upgrade Chevron on the basis that we don't see any threat to its dividend now. Um, uh, we're still expecting, we think, Russia, Russia, the loss of Russia is going to force Exxon into making a big deal. The problem is they're the only big buyer, and the market knows they're coming. So everything that's worth buying from an a, a operational point of view for, for Exxon is very aggressively priced. And they haven't been able to see something that they find to be attractive in value, but we think they've really got to do something. Um, So unlike Chevron, where we don't see the need for them to deal, and we do think you could get back into a situation of rising dividend and buyback, Mm -hmm. for Exxon, we see a deal as necessary. And we're underweight that one. we're underperform on that stock, by the way.
1: Give us some for instances on what Exxon might be looking at.
0: Permian. There's no question that the number one oil field in the world today, the number one oil play in the world today is the Permian in Texas, right in their backyard, multiple stacks and zones there. So an almost unlimited upside. Um, you know, the new technology that we've seen here has made the break-evens come all the way down into the 20, uh, $20 a barrel type range. Right. And as I said, it's in their own backyard. They're sick and tired of dealing with what they've had to deal with in places like Russia.
3: <laughs> so you might as well deal with uh, wherever the Permian is. will have to get the map out and look at that. Help me with peak oil, then. You mentioned new technology, which completely redefined the certitude of peak oil. What's the new peak? I mean, from a, from a hydrocarbon engineering standpoint, What's the new peak? Peak technology?
0: Peak demand, that's the threat. I mean, you can see in the markets pricing Tesla that ultimately the way we drive, which is uh, 90% of Americans, I think, drive less than 40 miles a day. We're sitting in congested urban space driving. We should be all driving electric cars. There's no doubt about that. If you want to drive to California from New York, you want a gasoline car, but almost no one's doing that. So over the next 15 to 20 years, I think the penetration of electric cars is going to be enormous. And that's 40, 50 percent of global oil demand is basically transport demand.
3: Then how so, can you be institutionally long oil? It's like you can be in it and, you know, but then five or 10 years from so now you've got to get out?
0: I think, a, well, I think on a 30-year view you aren't. And I think what you'll see is that if you look at the multiple of Tesla versus the multiple of Exxon, you've got your answer right there. Mm-hmm. I think over the next five to 10 years there is a, there is another uh, peak cycle coming, and that's what you're playing for right here in my view.
1: Interesting. In the meantime, um, Bloomberg government has a note out this morning. uh, Congress is uh, going to be uh, looking and the administration will be looking at um, the – well, it's the administration releasing the next version of its um, offshore leasing proposals. Virginia's coastline, I guess, is the issue. Uh, do people care anymore? Do people bid for these things? Is this something you bid for, put it in your pocket, but don't explore? Uh, it would have been a big deal under the drill baby drill days, but nobody wants us to drill anymore.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, this is one of the reasons we firmly believe that oil is locked into a boom-and-bust cycle. Essentially, there's an, a natural cycle. Higher prices give give less demand and more supply, but there's an, there's a plus G here, which is not growth. It's the impact of government. It's a big G and the government always shows up at exactly the wrong moment. Um, what we, <laughs> you know, may I quote up, you on that? Absolutely. Uh, uh, opening up offshore leases to expiration today, as as you say, is is ludicrously irrelevant. What they should be mm-hmm. doing is putting in a gasoline tax. But of course, no one can do that. But obviously, with gasoline prices as low as they are now, mm-hmm. is the opportunity to stop the price going any lower. Let's say, you know, oh. put a floor in at two or two fifty a gallon. And, um, you know, really make this move that would be very right. beneficial to, towards electric cars.
3: Very valuable. Paul Sankey, thank you so much for the it's a pleasure, guys. What a, what a, what a briefing. Uh, that was Mike, the Permian Basin. I'll try to figure out a map that I can get out on social is central Texas to the left. So it's over in West Texas, the Midland Basin and things we know almost down to the Rio Grande and then a little bit of the lower corner of New Mexico. Did yeah. I did I describe that okay? Seems to be. Yeah.
1: The Permian I think, Basin. I think Paul had a great idea. Nobody's driving New York to California. We can take surveillance on the road on uh we can listen yeah. to it on Channel one nineteen Sirius XM um all the way from New York to do California. Our, do our
3: Permian Permian Basin.
1: Yeah, Show. from uh, 11.30 in New York City to 9.60 in the San Francisco Bay Area.
3: Coast to coast, we call that. Bloomberg 1200 Boston. Bloomberg one FM in Washington. Good morning. And, yes, out to the West Coast, Bloomberg 9.60 San Francisco and the Bay Area. We're thrilled you're listening nationwide across Canada. Uh, on Sirius XM Channel 119 as well. Uh, Paul Sankey, uh, look for that on the Bloomberg Terminal. That interview deserves to be re-listened to is what I would suggest. You can do that. iTunes has all of our radio interviews. That's all you need to know. iTunes, Bloomberg Surveillance, our podcast. They're free. Good morning.